Today's sermon comes from John 14, 15 through 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. If only we had been there when Jesus was around. It would have been so much easier. If only we could have had that access to Jesus, that when our hearts are troubled, that we find ourselves anxious and fearful, if only we would have had that that same physical access to Jesus, it would be so much easier, wouldn't it? If we could just touch him and talk to him, he could tell us what we need to do. And tell us how we need to handle a situation. And when we find ourselves fearful, he could just put his hands on us and say, it's going to be okay. If only we had that access to Jesus. It'd be so much easier. You ever thought that? You ever thought, oh, if we just could be in the presence of physical Jesus, it would be so much easier. It's a common perception. But it's wrong on two accounts. The first is this, the evidence of the the four gospels says that the people that were around Jesus, physically around Jesus, didn't quite see it that way. In fact, his, his closest friends, his disciples, denied him. They ran away. Even the beloved disciple that we think is probably John, even the beloved disciple ran away in the Garden of Gethsemane. People were puzzled by Jesus. He was compelling, but they were puzzled by him. A lot of people didn't have a category for him. Some thought he was crazy. That's the first reason why that common perception, if we just had physical access to Jesus, it would be so much easier. That's the first reason that's just, it's wrong because that's not the way those around Jesus in his time responded. The second though is this, that Jesus in this passage and a couple chapters later, 
says or promises to be with his disciples in a way that would make it easier, not harder. He promises to be with them in a way that would make it actually easier. He promises that they will be able to do things that they can't do in his physical presence. Now, why does he say that or how? It's the Holy Spirit. And he refers to the Holy Spirit two times in this passage in verses 16 and 26 as another helper, another helper. Now the word in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in for helper is parakletos. And it comes from the verb parakaleo, which means to call alongside. So Jesus is telling his troubled disciples, I'm going to send one, another one who will come alongside you. So just as Jesus was a physical presence and help to his disciples, he says, I'm gonna now send once I resurrect and ascend to heaven, another one to come alongside you, right? The paraclete. Now, this word, we don't have one English word that captures it. It's that rich and full. In fact, we try to capture it and there's a couple of different words that are used for it. In verse 16, verse 26, comforter, counselor, advocate, helper. And it's the rich and diverse meaning of the word that captures the rich and diverse role of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. So how does the Holy Spirit come alongside you? Let me just give you the easy answer and then we're gonna flesh it out. If you forget nothing else or if you remember nothing else about the Holy Spirit, remember this that the Holy Spirit's role is to apply the work of Jesus Christ to your life. Jesus Christ accomplishes your salvation. The Holy Spirit applies that salvation to your life. The Holy Spirit is not, uh, is not on a wholly different program or, or some supplemental program that's different than the gospel or something above and beyond. The Holy Spirit's role is simply to apply the work of Jesus Christ to your life, all the benefits of it and the salvation that he's accomplished on your behalf. So how does the Holy Spirit come alongside you to apply the work of Christ? First, he comes alongside you as an advocate. The word parakletos actually in, the, in, the, in secular Greek means that. It means a legal assistant or a legal counselor or an advocate. Right, verse, verse 16, he will give you another helper or advocate to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. The spirit of truth. Now this is right on the heels of John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, what is the truth that Jesus says he is, that the Holy Spirit is defined, defined as the spirit of truth? What is truth? It's multifaceted, but John, the author of this gospel, also wrote other letters. One is 1 John. And in 1 John, John speaks about this spirit of truth. What is the truth? In fact, at the end of chapter one of 1 John, he says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the Truth is not in us. So if we say we have no sin, 
John says the truth isn't in you. But then he goes on, chapter two, verse one. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word advocate in 1 John 2 is the same word as helper in John 14. It's parakletos. We have an advocate, that Jesus Christ is our advocate. Now you say, in 1 John 2, John calls Jesus the advocate. In John 14, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the advocate. You say, which is it? Well, you don't have to decide, right? Because that's the work of the Spirit, is to apply the work of Jesus Christ, Jesus as advocate, right? Now, what does it mean that Jesus Christ is your advocate? Well, it says he's the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, what does that mean? It means a wrath-removing sacrifice, punishment-removing sacrifice, that Jesus Christ takes all of the punishment that you and I deserve. That's what propitiation means, that he removes or exhausts God's wrath and serves as our advocate so that, as John says, when we sin, Jesus is our advocate with the Father pleading our case. So that when he, we sin, he says, Father, I paid the penalty for that sin. Father, your righteous wrath was poured out on me for her sin, that he's constantly interceding for us, that he's our advocate. Now, you can get that, and you may get that, and say, I understand that Jesus is my advocate, but I still deal with such a tremendous amount of guilt and a tremendous amount of accusation and a tremendous amount of condemnation over my sin. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in, because the Holy Spirit is advocate. Whereas Jesus is the advocate with the Father pleading your case, the Holy Spirit is the advocate with you pleading the Father's case. So the Holy Spirit pleads the Father's case to you. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You understand what that means? The Holy Spirit is constantly, as your advocate, bearing witness with your spirit that your sins have been covered, that they really have been forgiven. They've been removed as far as the east is from the west. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And that you really are a child of God, that you really are loved by God. The Holy Spirit is your advocate. You know, you know what it's like to be crushed under the weight of sin. You know what it's like to have the accusations and the condemnation over your sin rain down on top of you. You know what that feels like. Accusations that go something like this. Do you realize how many times you've committed that sin this week? Do you really think God's gonna forgive you again and again and again? Or accusations like this. Are you really worthy to be a follower of Christ with the sin and the sin patterns in your life? Those are the accusations that rain down from the accuser of the brethren. That's what the devil's called. And the Holy Spirit's role in job as advocate 
is to bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God, that you are forgiven, that that sin that you committed has been covered, past, present, and future, that you're forgiven. The Holy Spirit is advocate with you, pleading the Father's case to you, while Jesus is the advocate with the Father, pleading your case to the Father. That's how the Trinity is at work in your life to bring you assurance. The Holy Spirit silences the accusations. Years ago, U.S. News and World Report, they shared a, this story that had happened in the ongoing Israeli-Arab conflict in the Middle East. There was a motorcade that was carrying the security service chief of Gaza. And that motorcade came under fire by Israeli troops. And so the, the frightened security chief called Yasser Arafat from his car for help. Yasser Arafat in turn called the U.S. ambassador. The U.S. ambassador called the then Secretary of State Colin Powell. Colin Powell then phoned Ariel Sharon, the Israeli prime minister, who ordered the shooting to stop immediately, and it stopped. The Holy Spirit is your advocate that when you are under the raining bullets of accusation and condemnation over your sin, the Holy Spirit is the one that silences it as your advocate, pleading the Father's case to you. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're a child of God. The Holy Spirit silences those accusations because that's his role as advocate. Let me just give you an example of how this works in my own life. This past week, one morning, I'm reading Psalm 65 from the community Bible reading and feeling that morning specifically the weight of my sin and hearing accusations like this. Are you really a follower of Christ? Are you really worthy to be a pastor? And then verses three and four of Psalm 65 hit me like a ton of bricks because here's what was happening. The Holy Spirit was coming alongside of me as advocate to plead the Father's case with me in the midst of being condemned and accused over sin. Listen to it. Verses three and four. When iniquities prevail against me, you know what that means? When iniquities, transgressions, when sins prevail against me, when they're raining down like bullets and accusing me and condemning me, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. That's the language of the Holy Spirit. Reminding us, reminded me that our sins have been atoned for. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple, right? The goodness of your house. In other words, all that is saying your, your sin is atoned for. You're a child of God. That's the Holy Spirit's role as advocate. How does the Holy Spirit come alongside you? First, as advocate. Second, comes alongside as your helper. As your helper. There's a theme in, in verse 15 and verses 21 to 24 that repeats itself. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. In verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Strong connections here in this passage between love for Jesus and obedience to his commands. And then strong connection between obedience to his commands and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. John is describing here, Jesus is describing here, right? He's describing what happens when you trust Jesus, what happens? This is not saying that if you obey, that's gonna show me that you love me, then I come dwell in you. That's absolutely contrary to the entire gospel of John in the Bible. No, this is descriptive. It's saying that if you love me, right? Jesus saying, if you love me, meaning if you trust me for your salvation, if you trust that I died for you, that I raised for you, if you trust me for your salvation, then the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will come live in you and give you the power and cause you to obey my commands. That's what John and that's what Jesus is saying here. It's Ezekiel 36 language, that I will put a new heart in you, I will put a new spirit in you, and I will what? Cause you to obey my commands. That the Holy Spirit is your helper. I I love that translation of the word because it means you need help. (laughs) You need help. We need help to obey God, to honor God, to love Jesus, to trust him. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us in our obedience. Now, what are the commands that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to help us obey? Well, in short, all of them. But is there a a focus here? Is there a theme here? And I, I believe there is, because John 14 is sandwiched by John 13 and John 15. And in John 13, Jesus says, I give you a new command, verses 34 and 35. And that new command is to love one another just as I have loved you. Then in John 15, 12, in John 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And John, the gospel writer in 1 John 2, sums up the commands in that chapter 2 with loving your brother. And of course, this is consistent with what Jesus says in Matthew 22. The Pharisees come up to him and say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor. Love God and love neighbor. Now, Jesus is summarizing the law with those two commands. And if you take the 10 commandments as a summary of the law, he's taking the 10 commandments and summarizing them with those two, love God and love your neighbor. How does this work? Well, let's take the love your neighbor, love others, and look at the last five commandments of the 10. Commandment six, you shall not murder. You know, 10 commandments are given in the negative, but there's always a positive prescription that comes out of them. So you shall not murder. Obedience to the sixth commandment is not just that you don't kill someone, and that you don't get angry with someone. Obedience to the sixth commandment is that you actually seek out ways to love someone in such a way that it causes their life to flourish. Or take the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Obedience to that commandment is not just not cheating on your spouse. Obedience to that commandment is 
seeking out ways with your spouse and your family to build them up in such a way that they become all that God has intended them to be. Or take the, the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Obedience to the eighth commandment is not just not taking someone's money and stuff. It's being generous with your money and stuff and giving it away for the well-being of others. That's love. Or take the ninth commandment. Ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That is not just, obedience to that command is not just not lying or not gossiping about someone. It's actually seeking out ways to build up someone's reputation. Right? Or you take the, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. What is your neighbor's? That is not just, obedience to that command is not just saying, don't desire what your friend has. It's saying you're so satisfied with how God, what God has given you and what he's provided for you that you find genuine joy, that you genuinely rejoice when someone else, at someone else's achievement and success. You see, the, the summary of the Ten Commandments is to love others, that we're to seek out ways to love others. Now, why do you need the Holy Spirit's help to do this? I hope you see by now that if obedience to God's commands gets summed up as love God and love others, I, I hope that you see by now to love others, which means, as we saw in John 13, at great cost to yourself. That's the definition of love. If you love someone biblically as God's defined love, that means it's going to cost you something. To be able to do that, you need the Holy Spirit's help. Because everything in your flesh says, there is no way I'm paying the cost to love somebody else. Your flesh says, I will love self. I won't pay to love someone else. That's what the Holy Spirit helps you do, is to sacrifice, is to pay the cost to love someone else. And that's why you need the Spirit. You know, this is a, uh, there's a danger here when we talk about obedience because we can so reduce obedience to a place that is not gospel-centered and not biblical. Some of the most outwardly obedient people in the New Testament were the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones that you would have expected Jesus to applaud, the ones that you would have expected Jesus to applaud, and yet he reserves the harshest words for the Pharisees. Why? because they weren't loving people at cost to themselves. In fact, they were doing just the opposite. They were using people, they were using religion to love themselves at great cost to others. They were doing just the opposite of what the summary of God's law is, which is to love others at great cost to yourself. Uh, think, about, think about Peter. Think about Peter. What transformed Peter from being the man who denied Christ three times to preserve self to the man who preached boldly the gospel, established the early church all the way to his death. What, what caused that transformation? It was the Holy Spirit. Because what event was between those two Peters? Cowardly, selfish Peter who preserved self when it came down to the wire and, and, and bold Peter who preaches a sermon and lays his life down for the early church all the way to martyrdom. What was the event between that? It was Pentecost. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
that brought that power and that gave that power. And so the Holy Spirit helps you obey. He helps you give your life away for the good of others at cost of self. I'll say that again. The Holy Spirit helps you give your life away for the good of others at great cost to self. That's how he helps you obey. And so you have the Holy Spirit, the role of the Spirit. How does he come alongside you? He helps you when you disobey as your advocate. He helps you obey as your helper. And then finally, he helps you and comes alongside you as comforter. Remember the context here. The disciples are troubled. They're, they're very troubled at this point. They're losing their way. Uh, their friend Peter is about to lose his faith. They're about to lose Jesus. It's why that, that's why uh, Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Right? They're feeling abandoned. They're feeling lonely and abandoned. And then he says in the end of verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So they've got fear, they've got anxiety, they've got abandonment issues. Anybody feel that at any time in your life? There's some great comfort when you watch the disciples and how they, how they operate in the places they get to because where they're at right, near, right here is not any different than where we're at. Fear, anxiety, abandonment. And what is Jesus' answer to that? What does he say is gonna help them overcome their fear and their anxiety and their abandonment issues? It's the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What that means is that when you're feeling anxious, you're feeling fearful, you're feeling abandoned, right? Loneliness, that the role of the Holy Spirit or the job of the Holy Spirit is to bring to your heart and mind the word of God that brings comfort and assurance right in the midst of those times. And that's what he tells his disciples in verse 29. He says, now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. See, he's preparing them. Trouble's hit now, more trouble's coming. And when it comes, I have given you my word so that you can recall it and the Holy Spirit will bring it to your mind and heart when the trouble hits so that you'll be comforted, so that you'll be assured, so that you lean into Jesus in trouble and chaos, trust and belief, and not lean away from Jesus and trust and belief in something else. That the Holy Spirit is the comforter. I love, I love backpacking. I don't do it as much now. Life has gotten busy. My back is shot, so I, my days may be over. But I love backpacking. I love thinking about it. Uh, and I specifically love the Appalachian Trail and hiking on the Appalachian Trail. I've never through hiked the trail. And that means you go from Georgia to Maine or Maine to Georgia in one stint, you know, five, six months. Never done it. But in my times on the trail, I've learned a lot about through hikers and what it takes to through hike the trail. And the reality is that, that those that through hike the trail, the ones that don't make it, the ones that quit, throw in the towel, a lot of them do it after the first several weeks. 
Because there is this threshold of pain that your body gets to when you're through hiking and you, and you go that long. Blisters on the feet, soreness. I mean, just a threshold of pain. Those that are warned about this beforehand, those that get warning, hey, about two, three weeks, you're gonna hit this pain level, you're gonna wanna quit. Your blisters, your body, you're gonna say, there's no way I can go on. Listen, that's a threshold. If you'll push through it, it gets so much better. Your body adjusts, the pain dissipates, you'll be fine, right? Those that get that word of warning tend to push on and through hike the trail. Those that never get that word, never get that warning, tend to hang it up. Why? Well, the ones that get that word of warning, right? When that trouble hits, what do they do? They recall that word. They recall that warning. And it gives them hope and it gives them perspective in what they're facing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That when trouble hits your life and you feel abandoned or you feel fearful or you feel anxious, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and brings it to your heart and mind to give you comfort in the midst of that trouble so that you won't throw in the towel, so that you will press on. And Jesus says, he says in verse 27, this is what he defines it, that comfort that the Holy Spirit brings. He calls it peace, right? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus is contrasting peace there. He's, he's contrasting two types of peace. The peace the world gives and the peace that the Holy Spirit gives. What's the difference? One is a peace dependent on circumstances. One is a peace that is independent of circumstances. The world can only give circumstantial peace that comes and goes. In fact, the world's uh, definition of peace is absence of conflict. In Jesus' day in the first century, it was the Roman Empire, empire these Christians were under. And the Roman Empire was conquering by force. That was how they were gonna usher in peace, the Pax Romana, right? That was the way peace was gonna come. And Jesus is saying, listen, I, I give a very different peace. I don't give a circumstantial peace that is dependent on externals. I give you a peace that is within, by the Holy Spirit, by the comforting words of the Spirit. Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, he says, I've learned to be content in every, any and every circumstance. What's he talking about there? He's talking about that peace that is independent of externals. That peace that resonates from within because the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwells in him, dwells in believers. To give that internal peace that strengthens. The Holy Spirit can bring to mind Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 to 11. It says this, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, that's speaking of the devil, who accuses them day and night before our God, and the accusations of the devil. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Listen, 
for they loved not their lives even unto death. Now you may hear that say, hey, that's great. But that's speaking of Jesus' second coming. What about now? No, Revelation 12 is speaking about Jesus' first coming because the context is this great battle that's going on between Satan and the woman who's about to give birth to Jesus, Mary. In fact, you know, around Christmas time, we talk about the birth of Jesus and it's, you know, it's kind of tranquil. You know, it's in a manger and it's all quiet and it's calm and we sing nice songs around it. All hell was breaking loose. And read, read Revelation 12. Satan knew what was happening and he fought. Of course, Jesus was triumphant. But it's speaking of the first coming. That's what Revelation 12 is speaking of. And in the midst of that, notice, it says they have conquered. So this isn't second coming. This is first coming for us, past tense. It says they have conquered. By what? The blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. You know what's so striking about that? The conquering comes in the midst of death, in the midst of messiness, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of disorder. That's what it's speaking about. These, these Christians that everything externally was falling apart. Everything was falling apart. Life was chaotic. Life didn't make sense. Things were happening that makes you feel like you're gonna die. Things were happening that makes you think, well, Jesus, where are you at? Externals are falling apart. And it says they conquered by what? The blood of the lamb, the work of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony. You know what that means? Everything falling apart. And they stood firm and confessed and professed the gospel. And it wasn't by their own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit within. In fact, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 to 37. Listen to what it says. Now, you tell me when I read this, if there's external, <laughs> if there's external peace. Some were tortured. This is speaking of the Old Testament prophets and men and women of faith. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. You talk about externals falling apart. And yet it says they weren't worthy of the world. They had the Holy Spirit in them as comforter. And listen, as comforter, that doesn't mean warm and fuzzies. It means strengthening. It means in the, in the face of everything falling apart in front of me, that the Holy Spirit inside of you gives you a strength to stand and confess and profess the goodness of Jesus no matter what your physical eye is seeing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work that we see the Spirit doing in Hebrews 11. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in Revelation 12. And what we see here is that the Holy Spirit brings comfort, which is not warm and fuzzies necessarily. It's internal strengthening. The Holy Spirit brings comfort, not through a comfortable life, but through a surrendered life. They loved not their lives even unto death. And ironically, that is where the peace 
of the Holy Spirit and the peace of God grabs hold is when a life is surrendered. And usually when a life is surrendered, something on the external is going crazy. That when a life is surrendered to Jesus, there is something on the external, something outside that is going crazy. But the peace doesn't come from calm out here. The peace comes from a surrendered life and the Spirit's witness inside of you and strengthening inside of you. So that the role of the Holy Spirit, how does the Spirit come alongside of you? Is it not beautiful? He helps you when you disobey. (laughs) He helps you to obey. And he helps you when your world's falling apart. That that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the acknowledgement in your word by sending the, the spirit, the paraclete, the helper. Thanks for the acknowledgement that we need help. And yet, Father, we oftentimes don't think we do need help. And so we pray that you would bring us to a, a place of neediness and weakness that we would confess our need for help, confess our need for you, Holy Spirit, to be our advocate when when we disobey, when we sin, to be our helper, to help us to obey and to love others. And that, Spirit, you would be our comforter, that you would strengthen us on the inside when our world on the outside seems to be falling apart Father, there are people in this room, that is it, that's happening right now. And Father, there are people in South Florida, in and around Parkland and Douglas High School, that that is certainly happening, an entire school, but families that need your Holy Spirit to give them strength. We think about moms and dads who lost a child, who are literally falling apart, who need you, Holy Spirit. And yet, if we're honest, Father, it's different circumstances, but we, in many ways, feel like we're falling apart. And we need you, Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Father, for sending your Spirit to apply the work of Jesus Christ to our hearts, that our salvation in Christ would be a living reality, more real than the chaos we see with our eyes. Father, as we close now in worship, we confess, we profess that we believe no matter what is happening in our world, no matter the chaos, the disorder, the confusion, the disillusionment, we stand and sing and confess that we believe in you, Father, in you, Son, in you, Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.